Today I'm going to be speaking on the surprising literary structure of the epistle to the Ephesians. And uh, I'm going to start with uh, my, my abstracts. There have been many suggestions for how the epistle to the Ephesians is structured. Some have been questioned whether it has any literary features at all. Some authors, such as Arnold, focus on the Greek syntactical structure, while the others, such as Hill, pay little attention to the Greek and concentrate on literary features. This paper will survey the literature on this question, evaluate the suggestions, and present a new structure which answers the objections and provides strong support for the coherence of the letter. So uh, what I'm going to do is, first of all, give a brief literary literature review and a new proposal, and then I'm going to give you examples of clear structural features and then end up with a question, is there an overall literary structure for the book? So let's look at um, the, the uh, proposals right now. So one extreme, we have someone like John Paul Hill, uh, his book, Ephesians, Empowerment to Walk in Love for the Unity of All in Christ. And he basically says the whole book is one great structure. And he has, um, uh, I think, 13 parts to it. We're missing the bottom off there. Let's just bring that up. So 13 parts. And he, uh, in each of these parts could be like another nested chiasm. So it's, uh, it, everything has to fit in with this. And uh, this, is, this is a very interesting, very creative idea. But um, uh, the, the, uh, the evidence, I think, for this is not really very good. The, the problem with this is that, that um, he, he's not really looked at the Greek when he's been doing this. He's tended to focus on just keywords that he sees there in the, in the English and he just picked out particular things that, that, that match. And uh, there's, there's not, it's, not be, it's not been received completely uh, sympathetically. So, for example, um, Arnold says he's not really convinced by what the, what, what, uh, the overall argument there. And I would agree. One of the problems I've seen is the places where there are clear structures don't fit in with his mega structure and so he actually doesn't accept them uh, so looking at a sample of the commentaries and now which are which are i've just taken four well-known commentaries today in the academic world which would focus on the greek and uh, this would these would be on the other side of the spectrum and these would say um uh, they would say um on average my analysis of these would be two Places in the, in the entire epistle where there's some evidence of, of a like chiastic structure or something like that. Um, on average, each of them has got two, and um, sometimes just one. And so they are very much more focused on what the, the, the syntax is is saying and how that's uh, that's controlling the meaning. And they're not focused at all on an overall literary structure. So if we look at the, the Hyle, the first. A suggestion. There's a, a poetic structure covering the whole thing. The second one with those four commentaries, just a few archaistic verses. I'm going to suggest there's not a rigid formal structure all the way through, but it's written in a semi-poetic style 
that embeds crafted structures to support the flow of ideas. And uh, I think that part of the trouble in our, in our culture that we tend, if we're saying something serious, just to say it out there as a series of logical statements. And we don't put poetry in it. No, in our acts of parliament, we don't have poetry. Yeah. It's part, not part of our culture. Whereas in their culture, if something's important, it's worth saying with beauty. It's worth weaving something into it. And so uh, I would say that my, my suggestion then is that it's woven all the way through. And I'm going to give you lots of examples here of what I mean by this. And let's start off with um, with uh, um, the this new proposal. I'm going to start off with some clear structural features that I'm going to look at. So um, the first thing I want to look at is pure chiasmus. And what I, um, I would consider the highest form of chiasmus is where what I call a folding structure, where you can fold it so you only see the first line and the last line, and it makes complete sense. But something's missing, and you unfold it a level, and you can see a bit more, and that matches, and that makes sense, and you can read it continuously, and then open it again. And what I've handed out to you is actually something that's been folded up in that manner, and you can see. Could you just pass me one to Anne so I can just... Um, actually, no, you don't have to bother, because I've got that probably on the screen here. So what I'm going to do, here uh, you have the first part for the purpose, is this the one you have? Yeah. For the purpose of equipping the saints for the building, for the work of the serving, for the building up of the body of Christ. Then the question, how is the body built, produces the growth of the body, the building up of itself in love. Now, syntactically, there's completely flow in the middle, but the ideas are running right the way through. If you open this up, you get... Um, the the question of how the body is built. Um, There's another fold you have to open. Yeah, you have to, yes. Uh, now you've got the yellow bits. Okay, so I have perfectly folded it up that for you. I've just uh, changed roughly how it goes. Uh, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to one mature adult, and a key idea, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this measure here, this measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and verse 16, the whole body joined together and held together. This is how we take unity. By every part doing the measure that it's been given. And so this, the verses 13 and 16 make beautiful sense. In fact, you don't even need this middle bit, but it's in there. And uh, there it is, that we should be no longer children. Uh, we should grow up in every way to him who is the head Christ. That makes perfect sense. And we can open up again what it means to be children, blown around by every wind of teaching, and maturity is speaking out the truth in love. And what is beautiful about this is that the perfect hieratic structure, as Kenneth Bailey would say, starts with the initial problem, ends with a solution, and right in the middle is a key idea, which fits this perfectly, speaking the truth in love. And in the context of Ephesians, that's the, that is the key idea that changes things and produces this growth in the body, in love. So uh, I would say this is, this is the highest form of, um, of chiastic structure in here. Um, surprisingly, I haven't found this, this particular structure anywhere in the literature. I haven't finished searching for it, but I, some of them have got the very middle bits of it in there. 
but they haven't got the rest of the, the thing together. So that's that's just there in, in that part of, of the book. Uh, we can look at another one here, which isn't quite as perfect. This one here is uh, is five uh, verses one through six. And here we have uh, a statement um, starts off the imitators of God as beloved children walk in love. And these are children walking in love and uh, they are blessed by God. And then the opposite in verse six, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, the opposite of the children of God. And so what is it that's in the middle here? Well, we get exactly the same phrase in the Greek in verses 3 and verse 5, the sexual immorality and all impurity or, or, or covetousness, exactly the same. Uh, and it's not fitting for the saints. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. And then right in the middle, we have uh, the actual command that they shouldn't speak like this, but their word should be worth of thanks. So that is the key idea that's introduced. So this isn't here as part of an overall flow. It's just in there because it, it makes sense and it's a powerful way of writing in their culture. It's just embedded in the way that he's writing. And uh, so those would be two examples of what I would, I would argue are pure chiasmus. And um, they would just fit in very well. Sometimes there's very small ones embedded in the flow. And here we have one. We have him here, don't walk as the Gentiles walk, and a whole lot of stuff. This doesn't match it down here. There's no match with verse 25 onwards with the rest of the stuff. But right in the middle, there's this beautiful little contrast. Take off the old self, put on the new self. Uh, <clears throat> uh, deceptive contrasted with truthful and in the middle be renewed by the spirit in your minds. And I'm sure all of us would agree that that, you know, that's a gem. It's in there and it's just a punchy way of saying it, that he's put in the flow. There's not some great structure around it. It's just in there because that is how he expresses himself. Um, we could look at, well, maybe he's quoting something in there. That's possible. We don't know that, but it's there. And so that's how we handle it. So I would say that that is my second class, which is a small chasm embedded in the flow. The, uh, the third one I want to talk about is where there's a high degree of, of, of structure, but not chiastic at all. It's just highly structured. And I'm going to look at the beginning here. We actually begin with a little, a little chiasm there um, that um, I'm just going to step over. But here we have... We have three sections. Uh, the first one, unfortunately, I don't know if I can show you all three on the screen at once here, but the, the, the syntax is almost identical between them. We begin with chosen in him, blameless in love, and then we have a, an expression, having predestined us to sonship, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace. Here, having revealed to us the mystery of his will, according to his pleasure that he purposed in him, and here, having been predestined according to the counsel of his will, so that we might be to the praise of his glory. And then each of these, they thought they have a structure, God's choice on an issue, his plan for accomplishing it, some statement about praise of his glory, and how as a result in Christ this works out in practice. Each of these goes through the same sequence supported by the syntax, and the first is past, the second is present, and the third is future. 
And the first is, you know, what happened? We were chosen before the foundation of the world. Right now, there's a process of revelation of the mystery, which is Paul is doing right now in this letter, uh, rereading the plan. And then we have the inheritance, which is how it ends up. And so, so he's put some, some elegant structuring in there, but it's not um, in the, the normal way we would see it as being poetic. And I would say that um, there's a few places where we get that. I'm going to give you one more example of this kind of thing. And this is just simply inclusio. Uh, so we have there in 3 chapter 1, Paul the prisoner of Christ. And then we have, so he starts off, for this reason, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Jesus Christ, on behalf of you. And then we have the task. And then we have the task given to the church. And I've summarized those. And then we end up with this statement, Paul the prisoner of Christ. And so he's just using those as an inclusio. It's not, there's not some, some detailed matching structure in the middle. It's just start and end. And actually, a lot of the sections in Ephesians are marked out by an inclusio that just marks them, just because it's a, it's a clear and powerful way of doing things. And so <clears throat> I would say that would be highly structured, but not chiastic. And uh, <clears throat> then... What, what uh, reinforces our confidence in these structures is that uh, they fit the logical flow of the book. So this particular structure I've given you fits in with the section that all the commentaries would say, you know, 3, 1 to 13 is a section. They all do that. And the fact that it's marked out with this, this, this feature is a reinforcement of it being structured. So one of the problems that some people with very imaginative structures come up with is they don't actually match the flow of the generally accepted series of ideas that's there in the book. And uh, a final example that I want to give here in this, of, of these, this kind of thing would be um, uh, at the, towards the end of the book, we have um, going from 5.15 through to 6.21, we have um, not as unwise, but wise. This is, sorry, I should say, this is how we walk. Not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of time and being filled with the Spirit. And those, those exact matches syntactically. And then the filled with the Spirit is filled with, followed by four, um, <clears throat> four uh, verbs which match together and, and uh, describe filling of the Spirit. And the last of these, submitting, we end up with that being like a controlling section with the last part of the Ephesians. And uh, actually, and this one, quite a few commentators will agree that it's here as a structure. It's not poetic at all, but it's there very strongly in the syntax, marking out a structuring feature of this um, towards getting towards the end of the book. So uh, those are my ideas for the types of structure, pure chiasmus, small chiasms embedded in the flow, or highly structured but not chiastic. And uh, what I would like to do now is to, is to uh, go and to look at the last question, is there an overall literary structure? Is there an overall literary structure? And uh, what I'm going to argue with this is that um, I'm going to say there are two overall structuring devices. There's table of contents in three 
1, 3 through 14, which I showed you earlier, where there are three blocks, past, present, and future, I believe structure the first half of Ephesians. And I'm going to show you that. And then I'm going to look at uh, the word walk, the verb walk, which I believe is a structuring element primarily for the second half of uh, it's initiated, it's introduced in chapter two. So um, Ephesians uh, uh, 1 through 3, we have chapter 1, uh, 1 through 14, an overview, past, which is um, chosen to be blameless, present, unfolding of mystery, future, hope through the spirit. Well, when we actually look at the next sections, we see 1 through 15, sorry, then there's a prayer. Then chapter 2, uh, 2 verses 1 to 10, and then 11 to 22, focuses on forgiveness, union with Christ, new identity, and peace by his blood, which, which ties in very, very well with the past section in A. Then we move on to 3, 1 to 13, which is about the mystery. I mean, the same word is used there. You can't get any clearer than that. The word mystery introduced in 1, 1 to 14, which is the plan of God, his wisdom that was hidden, now revealed, is now developed in, in 3, 1 through 13, in unfolding of the mystery. And then the future hope through the Spirit, the only reference to the, the presence of the Holy Spirit with us between that initial reference in uh, 1 through 14 is the next one is in in 3 14 to 21 where there's a prayer for revelation of love through the spirit and so i would argue then that he has paul has used those first 14 verses as a structuring element as like a table of contents for where he's going in building a foundation then just very briefly now um the uh ephesians four, uh, four through six uh right at the beginning we have in, in the uh, initial part, first half of Ephesians, we have the old walk replaced by the new, as like as a foundation. And then there are six more references to the word walk. And actually five, because there are two in that first section. We have walk worthy, verse, chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Uh, no longer walk as the Gentiles would put on the new. Then we have five, one to six, walk in love. And five, seven to 14, Walk in the light, and then 515 to 69, watch carefully how you walk. And those really turn out to be markers at the start of each section. And they pretty much, the commentators agree that those are the sections, but they haven't identified walk being the introductory line that Paul is using to mark these out. And then there's a conclusion, be, finally be strong in the Lord, and Paul uses finally as his marker for that, he's done with the walks at that point. So um, full document, documentation for this, go to Ephesians.ca and you'll see uh, Ephesians.ca, bring it up here, um, there we go, and you'll see here is, uh, here's my website for Ephesians and these are, these are detailed sections here, each part of it, but if you want to look at structure, go to the, the uh, element there structure and takes you through the slides I've just given you now and then so then those expanded out versions and these should all these should all work with the animations as I've just shown you.